Lesson one, basic hip. Hey, I've got a microphone and some music. Let's put on a show. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. If you visit thejazzsession.com, as I'm sure you will, you will find Amazon links to purchase the music you hear on the show, and if you do it that way, a portion of the purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. And you'll also find, brand new, the membership section of thejazzsession.com. People are already signing up, which is fantastic. I want to thank uh, members Lance Harris and Carlos Ibanez for joining. That's really fantastic. And uh, I figure I need about 100 people to join at the uh, $10 a month or $110 a year levels or up to make the show financially viable enough for me to keep doing it. So if you think you might be able to spare 10 bucks a month or you and a couple of friends maybe who listen to the show uh, want to kick in some money, that would be fantastic, and it will allow me to keep bringing you these great interviews. You can find out more at thejazzsession.com slash join, or just go to the main Jazz Session page and you'll see links to subscribe and to join. My guest today is drummer Toma Fujiwara. Uh, he and his band The Hookup have a new album called Action Speak, and it begins with this composition, The Hunt. My guest is uh, composer and drummer Toma Fujiwara. He has a, a new album with his band The Hookup, their debut actually, on uh, 482 Music called Action Speak. And uh, many listeners to this show will know Toma from his work with Taylor Hobinum, so we talked about the album Stepwise that Toma is on. And uh, it's my pleasure uh, to welcome Toma to the show. Thanks for being here, man. All right. Thanks for having me. So uh, this is one heck of a band, and uh, I thought maybe we could just start with the, the origin story here. How did you, uh, how did you get this band together? All right. Um, let's see. I guess you know I was writing a lot of music and thinking about 
putting together a group and um, you know just kind of thinking about the different musicians that I played with um, I met each of these musicians um, I guess I'll go in order of when I met them I met Brian Settles the tenor saxophonist um, I think my second day in New York I was subbing on a gig actually my first gig in New York and he was the saxophone player in that band and um, so we've been playing together and, and been friends ever since so um, I've always enjoyed his playing and enjoyed playing with him so he was uh, he was the first person that I thought of uh, for tenor saxophone um, going chronologically let's see then I guess uh, no Danton for about 10 years Danton Bowler the bass player um, we met when he moved to New York and we were playing with a lot of different musicians and did some touring together in Europe and um, so that's that's kind of my connection with Danton um, next would be Mary who I met um, about five six years ago we played together in a lot of different groups including some of Taylor's groups um, I'll just mention. I'll just mention that that's Mary Halverson, and uh, she was just on the show. If folks want to look that up. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mary Halverson, and um, and then Jonathan Finlayson, the trumpet player. I met him also in the last few years, and we were doing uh, a bunch of sessions at the time. So it, it kind of came together. You know, these are these are people that that have a, a strong connection to, um, to you know my personal history as a musician, and. Um, brought them all together <clears throat> and at the time that we first got together to rehearse I I, I didn't realize that I didn't, didn't do it purposefully but none of the musicians had ever played together before so it was um, a brand new connection for everyone involved you know, I read that, and that's kind of surprising to me because uh, maybe it's just you know my own lack of awareness. But it always seems the, the kind of advent- community of adventurous music always strikes me as pretty small and close knit. So I was surprised to learn that none of these people had ever uh, played together before at that time. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them knew of each other and had met and, and you know heard each other. But um, yeah, I guess it's just one of those one of those things that there, are, there has to be a first time. So. I guess that was it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> when, uh, when you said you were writing a lot of music at that time and thinking about getting a group together, did you have, uh, was, was your music written for a particular instrumentation? Did you have in your mind what the instrumentation would be? Or did you just gather the people and then work the music into that setting? How did that work for you? Um, I think the first batch of music was music that I just wrote um, without a particular instrumentation in mind. You know, just as, as songs kind of filling out melody and harmony and rhythm and and um, not entirely conscious of, of who was going to play what. And then as I put this group together, you know, kind of orchestrating these different pieces and, and you know, making, making some changes to them and also, you know, arranging them to to fit the, the personalities within the group. Um since putting the group together, obviously I've written more and, and <clears throat> we've played new pieces and those are written with the specific musicians uh, in mind in terms of not just the instrumentation but also you know the musicians' personalities and um, 
you know, combinations of sound, especially their sound. I feel like each member of this group has a very um, personal sound that they that they bring to this group. So really having that sound in my head as I'm as I'm writing for them. One thing I really enjoy about this album is it, it really feels like you're you're in part of a conversation, like you're eavesdropping on a conversation that's happening. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the the actual recording session, what that what that day was like. Uh, there just seems like there's so much communication going on here. It sounds like it uh, it must have been a fun session. It was. I, uh, I, I I consciously did not make the book of songs. Um, too big, you know. We played a lot of the same tunes for several gigs. I really wanted to get inside um, these specific compositions before we recorded them. I didn't want to, you know, have you know forty songs in the book, and then we decided to do a record and kind of you know pick a few of them. I really wanted to get inside these. So we had a lot of time. I mean, relatively speaking, a lot of time leading up to the recording through gigs and rehearsals to kind of try things and, um, you know, see what worked, see what didn't kind of get past the, you know, notes on the page and, you know, kind of get inside them, have each musician give their own personal um, interpretation. And so then, so when we actually showed up to record the album, you know, it was was very relaxed and um, I think three, three of the songs 
on the album are first takes. Uh, and not only are they first takes, but they're the only takes. In other words, we didn't do a bunch and then say, actually, that first one was cool. We kind of, we did the one and said that was it and we moved on. And I think that was also a result of having spent a lot of time with the music. Um, and the session itself was fun except for the fact that, uh, Danton had a terrible flu, which I don't know how he, how he played that well on the album, but he was, <laughs> he was, he was nodding off in between takes. Oh, I didn't man. think he was going to make it. Wow. And then as, as soon as we would, you know, count off a tune, he was playing his butt off. So <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but. As you can hear from the record, he sounds incredible. I was going to say, yeah, you'd, you'd never know, that's for sure. You know, that, that uh, not the flu story, but the things you were saying before that, I guess leads me to um, the next question, which is how did you, uh, how do you approach being a band leader when it's going to be your name on the record and, and you've composed the music? Uh, how do you adjust that balance between the contributions of the musicians and your own vision uh, for what the music is uh, in your mind or was on the paper? How do you, uh, how do you walk that line? Yeah, I mean that's you know that's a delicate line. I'm sure any band leader would would agree that it's it's a constant. Um, you know, you have a concept in your mind, but you have to constantly reevaluate it. You have to be open to um, to the to the the evolution of the band and the evolution of the compositions and also the the uh, the individual input from the musicians. Um, you know, I, in terms of band leading, I guess, I guess to me, band leading is more about the, the logistics of it, of bringing people together and, and, you know, finding, finding gigs and organizing rehearsals and, and, you know, keeping things together in that way. From a musical standpoint, um, you know, once I've kind of assembled the musicians and brought in the music, um, I try to, you know, let go as much as, as possible and trust trust the musicians and trust my ability to, to select the quote-unquote right musicians for the situation and so that once we start playing, you know, hopefully I can just be one, one of the ensemble and in that respect it won't be that different from any other ensemble I'm part of as, as a sideman or... or um, I'm in a few groups that are also like collectives, so you know, hopefully, the musical side of it is is not that different. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of thought that goes into it, leading up to it, in terms of you know, selecting the material that you think complements the the personalities in the group, you know, and then actually bringing them together.
from uh, what I've read, not only in the in the liner notes, but in the the other material that I've read about this record, um, you've taken a lot of inspiration uh, it, for your own compositions from other from other music, which is obviously not uncommon, and and certainly from music both inside and outside the the jazz world. Are there some uh, some kind of direct influences on this record that you'd like to mention? Um, I'm trying to. I, I think I mentioned it on the in the liner notes, like you said. Uh, um. You know, there's a there's a piece. Wayne Shorter is, is a huge influence on me. You know, compositionally, and of course, his his playing and and the different groups he's been involved in, both as a leader and as a sideman. Um, obviously, from a technical standpoint, in terms of his melodies and harmonies and rhythms, you know, there's a lot there. But but just kind of his um, energy. Um, as a musician or and as an interpreter of compositions, um, that that's 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 he's a he's a big influence definitely um, in some literal ways, but also just kind of in a more I don't know conceptual, almost visual way. Um, I'm trying to think about other songs on the album. Uh, there, there's one that <clears throat> is um, kind of kind of based on uh, a verse by AZ on a Nas album called Illmatic, so that's um, like a classic hip-hop album from I think the late 80s or early 90s. Um, Can you talk about the way in which it's based on that? How did, how did the, the AZ verse translate into the tune on this record? Well, I guess um, kind of coming from do I even want to say that? I guess I will. <laughs> coming from a jazz background, I mean, you know, coming from a background of, of a lot of different music, but, you know, studying jazz um, formally and, and having my, my main teacher be uh, a, a great jazz jazz drummer. So coming from that background, you know, that music is a lot about uh, phrasing. And um, um, growing up listening to a lot of hip-hop, um, one thing that's key in that music as well is, is phrasing, is, is the delivery of of your verse, and that particular verse was, you know, really stuck out to me. And um, so, actually, I actually transcribed it and transcribed the rhythm of it and the inflections of it and and the, and the phrasing of it. And so, it's some of the lines in, in that piece uh, of mine entitled "Should I Do" from the album. Um, at least the first section of it is is uh, based off of the um, the rhythm and the inflections of, of his his phrasing on that on that verse. Yeah, that's that's so great to hear. I, I uh, I've had more than one argument with jazz people um, who jazz people who are not hip hop fans, and I try to explain why I am. And one of the things to me that's uh, just so directly tied into improvised music is the rhythmic creativity of hip hop. I mean, it's just stuff happens in hip hop that it's, I'm sure it happens in other musics too, but it happens in a um, in a kind of easily demonstrable way in hip hop that I that I really like. And uh, it's really it's nice to hear somebody you know talk about that rhythmic creativity and finding a way to translate it into into this music too. I'm glad to yeah. hear you say that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it's you know, hip hop is is a huge influence. Um, 
on my music and not not in a you know direct one to one you know relationship of you know hip hop is my influence therefore I play hip hop but in a much more conceptual way and and like you were saying a, a big part of that is 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 the rhythm and the and the phrasing and the you know the the uh the shapes the shapes of the music to me are 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 very inspiring So, Ma, I'm guessing that there are some people who are listening to this interview who may be hearing about you for the first time, and uh, maybe we could just fill in a little bit of, of background for them. Um, I know you're from Boston. Can you talk a little bit about uh, just what, what growing up was like for you, how you started to get into, into music and playing the drum? Yeah, uh, I, grew up, I grew up in Boston, um, and I guess um, I, 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 don't, I don't come from a musical family, so basically what... <clears throat> kind of inspired me to play the drums uh, were, were two different events. One is um, finding a, a record of the Max Roach versus Buddy Rich, um, you know, that album, uh, Ro- uh, Rich versus Roach. And the cover, I think I was maybe about six or seven at the time, the cover shows the two of them sitting at their drums facing each other and kind of this you know, uh, uh, you know, dueling stance. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a good cover. I don't know if you know. Do you know the album? Oh my god! Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, it was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, it just it these drums and these you know these guys look really cool, and they had. I think they both have their sticks up. You know, they're kind of pointing at each other, like you know, let's let's do this. <laughs> And I put it on, and, and they're trading, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff all over the place. I think the the main thing musically that still sticks with me is, is uh, this hi-hat section that Max Roach does, you know, one of his famous hi-hat solos where he's just playing so much music just on just on a hi-hat cymbal. Um, so that, that, was, that really stuck in my head. And the other thing was um, just being in a public school system, they would... You know, at the beginning of the year, kind of do a little demonstration of, of all the instruments, and um, 
you know, to see if any of the kids were interested. And, and the drum teacher, Keith Gibson, uh, came in. He had a snare drum. You know, we were in the auditorium in my in my school, and uh, he played a, a press roll from soft to loud to soft, and then he played a single stroke roll from slow to fast to slow. And, uh, you know, the, the dynamics and the, the power that, uh, you know, that came kind of, that hit me right in the chest was, you know, really had a, a big effect on me. So I started, I came home and I told my mom I wanted to play drums and she probably, you know, why can't you play violin or something a little less loud? <laughs> but, uh, but being the very supportive mother that she is, uh, she um, got me some private lessons with a, with a great drummer and teacher named Joyce Coffin. Um, and I studied with her for a couple of years, and then she was um, moving to the West Coast, and we didn't really know, you know, we didn't know anyone else I could study with. We were at, my mother was asking me for recommendations, and she said, well, I can, um, I can see if my teacher will, will, will teach your son. And that happened to be Alan Dawson. Um, so at about nine or ten years old, I went to study with Alan Dawson. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was uh, very cool, uh, very intimidating. <laughs> um, Tomah, tell was, people who Alan Dawson is, uh, who, who might not know. Oh, okay. Alan Dawson was uh, one of the greatest uh, drummers, uh, teachers, uh he also played vibraphone. Just, just one of the really great musicians, and uh, he he played with. He's on uh, those Booker Irvin albums from the '60s with Jackie Byer and Richard Davis. He played with Dave Brubeck and Dexter Gordon and Bill Evans and on and on and on. And um, and also was a great teacher who taught, among other people, uh, Tony Williams and. Uh, I'm blanking on names now, but just taught a, a lot of um, musicians who also went on to, to make their mark. Um, so yeah, that that was very uh, very fortunate for me that uh, that I had that opportunity and that he he was willing to take on such a young student. Um, and so I, I went in for a lesson, which I guess was kind of an audition, just to make sure I wasn't. You know, going to be a total handful to deal with at, at the age of nine, and it goes quiet enough and, <laughs> and listened well enough that he said, "All right." And so I, I studied with him uh, through high school. I studied with him for eight years, and he was it was you know the best thing that, that could have happened for me. You know, just to not only study with him and learn how to play music from him, but also just his his presence as as a uh, you know how he carried himself, and, and you know being kind of uh, this man to look up to as as you're a boy becoming a man uh, also made a big impression on me as well. So, and then I moved to New York. Thank you. 
pigeonhole you but you certainly you staked out some turf in the more kind of adventurous end maybe of uh of the improvised music spectrum and i i wonder how you how you came about that how were there just things that you listened to that you you found inspiring uh, was it when you moved to new york how did that happen that you started kind of opening your ears to uh kinds of music that you wouldn't hear in school necessarily um i'm trying to think i mean i think You know, it, it, a lot of it when you're young comes from, you know, your friends and, and what they might be listening to. And uh, I think I think when you're young, hopefully you're not yet uh, too interested in, in categories or, or stylistic divides and that kind of stuff. So you kind of listen to stuff that grabs your attention or seems cool or resonates with you in, in some kind of way. And I think with me that, that happened to be, you know, I mean, I remember the first, I think I think I got um, out to lunch, like, I don't know, beginning of high school. Uh, it's that uh, Eric Dolphy album, Out to Lunch. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, and it, sounded pretty nuts to me but there was you know a little something there that made me you know keep going back to to it to to try to you know it sparked my interest enough to so that I hung in there even though you know initially it it really confused me (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think you know you have you know I had friends that were listening to all kinds of stuff and and um and we were I guess just you just you're just experimenting. You know, you're, you're you're listening to all different kinds of things, and then you're kind of experimenting with with trying this out and trying that out. I mean, I think I had um, um, you know, friends and musicians around me that that were open-minded. You know, open to, to trying and failing and trying again and and pushing boundaries and um. So yeah, I I can't really name a specific moment where it kind of clicked. I think it's just a, a, a gradual uh, I don't know what the word is. Not development, but you know, you just kind of as as you grow as a, as a person and as a musician, you're kind of taking in these, these different these different things. And um, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't consciously try to be experimental. You know, it, it, to me it's more about you know the music that I'm into and the music that resonates with me and and playing with musicians um, that I feel a, a connection with and that I uh, you know that I trust musically and that um, you know I feel like are um, down for the for the journey you know for the for trying things out and uh, but I think there are people like that that play all different kinds of music. Thank 
Keeping in mind that this is going to air in about three weeks, are there some uh, performances you want to mention? Uh, yeah, we have a CD release gig um, in New York City on October 9th at 10 p.m. at the Stone. Um, and we're also playing October 27th at Barbez in Brooklyn at 8 o'clock. So those are the uh, two things that are coming up. Fantastic. And, uh, folks, if you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll find uh, Tomas' website. Um, and I'm imagining that your events are listed there, right? So, yep. Fantastic. My guest is Tomas Fujiwara. He's got a new album with his band, The Hookup, called Action Speak. It's on 482 Music, and it's great. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Tomas. I'm glad I finally got the chance to do it. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
That's music from Toma Fujiwara and The Hookup from the new album Action Speak on 482 Music. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. Please do become a member of The Jazz Session. Been going for uh, three years, 750,000-plus downloads, and I would like to keep going for another 20 or 30 or 40 years more. And to do that, I need about 100 of you uh, at, the, at the bare minimum to join at the $10 a month or $110 a year level. And if you will do that, uh, that or more, that will allow me to keep making this show. So thanks. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. Check them out at respectsextet.com and buy their new record, A Farcical Built for Six. Also, thank you to uh, Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo, and whose brother Jeff, at jeffrabel.com, wrote the uh, liner notes to the newest Respect record. Get out there now and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.